good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. So who runs the ship? Whenever I was an engineer working for the U.S. Navy, I went out on an aircraft carrier. It was part of a training deal. And me and a friend of mine, we walked out on the hangar deck. There's the flight deck, and below that is the hangar deck where they keep all the airplanes. And we were just taking it all in. I mean, we felt like we were you know, in that movie Top Gun or something like that. We're walking around. We quickly found out we were not in that movie. We walked out on the, uh, it's called the aircraft elevator. It's what they use to raise the planes up to the flight deck. And you had a better view from the edge of that elevator. So we walked all the way out to the edge, kind of ignoring all this striped tape and things like that. And we got a wake-up call as to who runs the ship. We were introduced to the COB, the C-O-B, that stands for the chief of the boat. And he, in a very loud, abrupt way, informed us that we were somewhere we were not supposed to be. And it was one of those screams that gets your attention and you just feel hot and red from like the, the neck up, you know. And so we did, ex I mean, we couldn't get off that thing fast enough. We ran off that and uh, that was our introduction to life at sea. And I also learned very quickly that what I had envisioned as the captain sitting in his chair at the helm running the whole ship was changed. And that captain may run the ship, but it was that cob that ran the boat. 6,000 sailors it takes to run an aircraft carrier. And that officer, the chief, he oversaw every enlisted man on that ship. Because it takes all those people to make that carrier run. You see, you need food. You need missiles loaded onto planes. Everything's got to be cleaned. And it takes a whole navy full of people to even run one of those massive carrier ships. About 6,000 sailors on one of those ships. And the Cobb was the one making sure that all that was happening. I had a similar experience when I started spending more time in hospitals. At my previous church, I served as a care pastor. It was my job to do most of the hospital visitation. And getting in hospitals, I had always envisioned it was the doctors that ran everything. Huh? -uh. That is not the case. And I got there, and I see those, those nurses buzzing around like crazy making sure people's bed linens were right, the patients were taken care of, doing the lab analysis. And I've learned since that aircraft carriers and hospitals would be completely ineffective were those nurses and those sailors not out there working on those buildings and ships. And churches aren't all that different. I mean, pastors only have to work one day a week, right? Yeah, we pop in on Sunday, we get up here, we do our thing, but all kinds of stuff has to be done. Things have to be clean, things have to be ran, uh, bills have to be paid, people have to be paid. It doesn't take long to see it takes a lot of people to get things accomplished. And in the church, as it turns out, there's a particular group of recognized servants in the Scriptures I want to talk to you about today. It's a group called deacons. And at one time, First Baptist had deacons, and they moved to an elder board. And the deacon board had not yet been reformed, reformed, I should say, 
So today I want to talk about this role of deacons, specifically what does it take to be a deacon. And after the service, at the end of the service, we'll be installing our deacon board here at First Baptist. I'm thrilled. I've been waiting. I've been wanting to do this for three and a half years now. This morning it's, it's going to happen. So the text I want to look at today, I'm going to focus on um, being a deacon. It comes right after the text we looked at last week. It's from 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 13. 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. 1 Timothy chapter 3, 8 through 13. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to too much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You may be seated. Last week, we took a break from the book of John, and we began talking about the leaders in the church. Those are the elders. And today, we're talking about the servants in the church, and those are deacons. And I want to talk about this topic this way. First, we'll talk about the nine essential ingredients that we just saw in that passage of deacons. And then we'll ask the question, must they be men? I think the text gives us some clue there as to the answer to that question. Then we'll ask the question, well, what do deacons do? And then finally, how do I serve like a deacon? Deacon or not, we are all called to serve the body of Christ. It's one of the reasons we put it on the wall as you're exiting, that we're all called to serve the body of Christ. So let's talk about these deacons. And first of all, the name, the Greek word, uh, is diakonos, and it simply means a server. Literally, it's one who waits tables. And this position was actually pretty poorly thought of by the Greeks in Paul's time. It was looked down on as being medial, and the Jews of Paul's time believed it, is, it was good to serve, but it became something you did for the accolades of it. You know, when Jesus was taught, teaching the disciples how to pray, he said, do it in private. There would have been too much showiness out and about. So people did it for wrong reasons. And if you look at the root meaning, it was, again, someone who waited a table. Now think about what Jesus did. Think about what he did at the Last Supper, that picture of service. He gave the food to them. He washed their feet. So it is a position of service. We're serving like Jesus did. And then we see these ingredients. You could say qualify uh, someone as to whether or not they could be a deacon. And then I want to go through this list, these ingredients. And starting at uh, the very beginning, first of all, it says they are to be dignified. This is talking about someone who is noble. Now, what does that mean? It has a lot to do with what you decide you're going to set your mind on. One commentator, a guy by the name of Hawthorne, said he concludes that it refers to lofty things, majestic things, things that lift the mind from the cheap and tawdry to that which is noble and good and of moral worth. So see, this describes someone who's not primarily characterized by setting their mind on the, the useless and the trivial and pursuing those things. They're pursuing something greater. And then secondly, 
not a gossip. Literally, that means not two-faced. And we've all heard it. Most of us have probably participated in gossip at some time. But it does a number on the church. It does a number on people. I read an author once who compared uh, gossip to barnacles that attach themselves to a ship. And uh, that comparison was made by Steve Mansfield. He, he talked about how barnacles slow down a, a ship or a vessel and how it affects the church. And it's interesting, barnacles can slow a ship down by up to 40%, cutting the speed in half. They get inside engines and add weight to the hull. They can crack the hull of smaller vessels. They diminish the aerodynamics of the boat. And the U.S. Navy spends about $500 million a year to scrape the barnacles off of ships. Gossip has a similar impact to churches. It cracks things. It slows things down. It spreads like a disease. It gets to people that you never intended it to get to. It hurts the person listening, and it hurts whomever the gossip is about. So this is not... A gossip. It's also not a drunkard. It's not someone who can't control themselves when it comes to alcohol. They, they overdo it, and they overdo it on a regular basis. Also, not greedy. Greed is the sin that most all of us think we're always innocent of. There was a poll that went out in uh, Vanity Fair that 78% of Americans disagreed with that famous quote from Gordon Gecko. In, the, uh, in that movie, Wall Street, he said that greed was good. Only 19% of Americans agreed with that. But and then in another poll, the economists, people asked, well, what's the deadliest sin? They all agreed it was greed. And everybody thinks it's a terrible problem, but the problem is nobody thinks they're greedy. And when the BBC did another poll on the seven deadly sins, greed was last on their list in answer to two questions, which sin have you ever committed and which sin have you committed in the past month? The British evidently were, were, well, were, were free to say that they were um, lazy or prideful or lustful or gluttonous, but greedy. That was seventh out of seven on the list. Tim Keller argued that even though it's clear that the world is filled with greed and materialism, almost no one thinks it's true of them. Greed hides itself from the victim. We're not to be lovers of money or what it can bring. And every person that serves a church has contact with money. As a matter of fact, we're one of the wealthiest nations in the world. It's that love of money that becomes the problem. Fifth, Hold firmly to the gospel message. This is getting into verse 9. It says they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And what does that mean? Now, to those outside of Christianity, it is a complete mystery. And the depths of the faith are not always completely understood. But, but we hold on to it. There's an understanding of who Christ is and what he did. God come down to us in the flesh, paying for our sins. This is what they're holding on to. And not just anyway, but it says with a clear conscience. Right belief and right behavior always go hand in hand. That's why I dedicate a lot of time to teaching 
right doctrine. Because I believe if you understand rightly about God, you will act rightly toward God and toward other people. Those two go together. They affect each other. If you want to act right, you have to believe right. That's why it's so important to know what we believe. And if people don't understand what grace is, if they have a, a low view of grace, they're always going to have a guilty conscience. If you don't understand that Jesus took all that on himself, all the pain and the shame and the punishment, so we don't have to carry it, that's grace. And if we don't understand that, we're constantly going to be anxious about <clears throat> excuse me, whether or not we're, we're good enough. And then in verse 10, it says, be examined. And the length of the process would vary from person to person. Timothy was dealing with this church in Ephesus that had issues. They had issues with what they were really supposed to be believing as Christians. <clears throat> and a combination of wrong beliefs that was resulting in bad behavior. And this examination is a, a combination probably of a brief interview to understand what that person believes, as well as a period of time to understand, well, what is their character? What are they like? Have we seen enough of them to know? It's not unlike the membership interview we do here. A number of you have been through that membership interview. It's just to find out, hey, we, we want to know what you believe. It's not, it's not an ordination service. It's just some questions about the gospel. Be examined. Then we see number 7 in verse 11. A wife or woman, the text we saw today was a woman with similar traits. Now, this is where it gets interesting because it addresses that question, well, can women be deacons? We took a long time last week to answer the question, can a woman be an elder? I believe the text tells us no. That role is reserved, that office is reserved for men, look again what it says. This is the New American Standard. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate and faithful in all things. Now look at what it says in a different, this is the English Standard Version. It says, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded and faithful in all things. Now what's going on here? So <clears throat> this word for this Greek word, gunaikos, it can mean either wife or woman. And you see the work that the translators have to do as they're trying to figure out, okay, well, how do we translate this? Now, this is one of those translations that has an impact on what we do at the church and the decisions we make. So Paul is adding qualifications to the wives of deacons, and that's interesting. Is this talking about wives of deacons, or is this talking about women? Context will have to tell us. Now, there's a clue, I think, in the previous list. Under the qualifications for elders, it says nothing about wives of elders. It's something special here. Now, typically, it's sometimes translated wives, but again, it's the same word, wife or woman. Now, you have to ask then, what about the context? Now, there's no pronoun, no possessive pronoun that appears with that word women. The there is added because they're understanding it to be wives. 
So I think that's one clue as to whether or not that should be translated wives or women. So the elders' qualification does not contain women in it. This doesn't have the article. And I think there's also another passage that gives us even a more clear context as to whether or not women can be deacons. It comes from Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Listen to this. It says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Syncre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. That word servant is the word for deacon, diakonos. So Paul is calling this woman a deacon of the church at Syncre. So even though it's not as clear from 1 Timothy 3, it seems clear that there's at least one woman referred to as a deacon who was very important in the ministry at this, at this church. Many believe that she was actually the one that carried the letter of Paul uh, to um, the, this church. So I do believe there's room for both women, men and women in this role of deacon. I think it's clear from the text now, if a church didn't have a board of elders like First Baptist does now, and I realize in the history of First Baptist, they did not install women as deacons. However, I also would say that in large part, those deacons had been functioning as elders. And if that were the case, I think a church should be very cautious about adding women to a deacon board. But we have an elder board, an elder board, and now we're adding a deacon board where I believe now we can have Deacons that truly serve in the role as deacons and elders that truly serve in the role as elders. And I think that is giving us room to have women as deacons here at First Baptist Church. But we want to be careful about that. Then we find our last qualifications in verse 12. It says, Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, addressing men now, managing their children in their own households well. So number eight is this husband of one wife. And literally, we saw this with elders, it's a one-woman man. And this is against, probably against polygamy or a, a straying eye. <clears throat> and this was uh, illegal for a woman, which is probably why it wasn't addressed to women. But men could sometimes be polygamous, not if they're going to be an elder or a deacon. So with all of these qualifications, I think fidelity is in view here for men. Obviously, that applies to women. And I don't think we can simply say also that anyone who has been divorced is disqualified from being a deacon. Uh, it depends on the circumstances. It depends on whether or not that happened before uh, they were a believer. There's questions to be asked there. So if married, they must be faithful. And then finally, Manage the household and children well. We talked about this last week, too. The deacon must be doing a good job, both in the general running of the household and specifically in the conduct of their children. There's no perfect kids. This is a subjective decision. So these are different roles. And again, these are qualifications of deacons. And the biggest differences between elder and deacon is that of being an overseer and teacher. That is not the role and gifting of a deacon. Doesn't mean they're not a teacher, but it is a different role, not part of the role of a deacon. 
So then what do they do? Well, bottom line, they serve. They serve. They serve the body of Christ in whatever role is needed. And we see in the book of Acts, they were serving food and distributing money to the poor. And in various churches I've been in, they've been responsible for a number of things. Uh, Overseeing the building, the benevolence, counting money, communion, ushering, making sure everything's taken care of for baptism. And the Christmas luminaries. That was a big role of the deacons at my church back in Dunbar. It was a big deal, getting those luminaries out. Bottom line, it's assisting the elders in whatever needs to be done. I remember my first job when I was a deacon in Dallas, Texas, was to change the burned-out light bulbs. And it was myself. It was uh, a guy from uh, uh, named Brian. We were both. This was pathetic. You know, we were both electrical engineers. He actually had a Ph.D. from MIT. And we had the hardest time getting those stupid lenses down to get those light bulbs changed. But we did it. You know, we persevered. We stayed at it. It was pathetic, but we got it. And there were recognized deacons at one time at First Baptist. Again, then an elder board was formed, and many of these tasks went into various committees. So whenever we were thinking about, well, who should be a deacon, the first thing we did was ask, well, who's already serving in that capacity? Let's get our arms around these committees, and then let's ask those people to serve as deacons first. So there's something here for all of us as well, and I think there's something to be said for how we can serve like a deacon. Just because you don't have the title, just because you haven't yet been officially installed, and I hope that many more people over the years will be, we're all called to serve. And first of all, I believe we're called to serve with integrity. We're called to serve with integrity. Uh, You know, when a submarine comes out of dry dock, the first thing they do is put it through what's called sea trials. They take it through all kinds of different depths because they want to test the integrity of the hull. And it's called a shakedown cruise. Because if the integrity of the hull is compromised in any way, when you get down to certain depths, it's going to crack and people are going to die. How would you like to be on a cruise like that? The welds are tested, and the pressure reveals a lot about the welds. Let me tell you, serving in a church means pressure. And there's challenges, and people don't always agree. How are people going to handle stress? And when we serve in the name of Christ, it it requires being the kind of person described in this passage. And none of us are perfect, and we're all going to have some cracks. And we all need grace, but this world needs godly servants who are who they say they are. Serving with the right motives, not for gain, not for networking, but for God's glory. We're here to make God look good. And then secondly, we serve with heart. We serve with heart. We don't want to do anything half-heartedly. I remember raking the leaves one time, and Dad looked out the front yard. He said, son, I think you did that pretty half-heartedly. And I said, well, what makes you say that? He said, because half the leaves are still out in the yard. We do it wholeheartedly. There was a, Christ gave everything and showed us how to serve. Do you believe that this matters, this service to God? 
There's a book called Lord of the Rings. Uh, some of you have made it. Nerds like me have read it several times. And in that, in that book, there's these people called Ents. They're not people. They're beings. They're like, kind of like big trees. And they're very slow. It takes them a long time to decide anything. And they're trying to decide if they want to enter this war. And up until the 11th hour, they'd maintain a strict policy of neutrality. They wanted to be left alone. But then they decided this was not a war they could be passive on. They were going to have to jump in. And in that decision, they said this. Of course, it is likely enough, my friends, Treebeard said slowly, likely enough that we are going to our doom, the last march of the Ents. But listen to what he says. If we stayed home and did nothing, doom would find us anyway sooner or later. And that thought has long been growing in our hearts. And that is why we are marching now. You know, wherever we are in our journey, whatever we believe, our earthly march is going to come to an end. And how do you want to meet Jesus? Do you want to meet him serving with all your heart? I sure hope so. If a job seems even monotonous, remember why you're doing it and who you're representing. And then finally, enjoy the benefits of serving. Look at what it says in verse 13. For those who serve well, as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. It may look menial sometimes what deacons do on the outside, but in the eyes of Christ, it is much different. Two benefits to point out. First of all, those who serve well gain good standing, will gain good standing. And it's to say that deacons are building a good reputation within the community. It should make it a desirable office. And then there's a second benefit, that you'll gain great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. That word confidence comes from a Greek word, parasia, and it means boldness, fearlessness, and openness to the public. This is someone who's putting what they profess to believe into action. Faith that is working and growing into life. So two benefits to that kind of service. And by the way, because we want everyone serving, out in the foyer this morning... Again, we wouldn't put serve on the wall back there if we didn't think it was important. We've actually put up um, a number of different service opportunity descriptions. They're on the welcome desk. And if you are looking for an opportunity to serve at First Baptist, and honestly, I hope that all of you are, just check out. We took some time to lay out job descriptions for service opportunities. So you know what you're getting into. You know who to contact if you want to get involved. So take a moment and check these out. They're for children's ministry, youth ministry, um, and a number of different other areas that we want people serving in. There's some care ministry opportunities. So please check that out. And then finally, to put this all together, serve like a deacon and enjoy the benefits. There's much to be gained from being a servant of Jesus Christ. So and as we close today, I'm going to ask our deacons to come up to the front, if they would, please. They hopefully, they've received an email about this. Come on up. And if you would, line up right here, uh, right in front of the platform. Excellent. 
We have a few vows that we want our deacons to make as they're going to be installed today. So as I go through these, all you have to do is collectively say, we do. It's very simple. Just two words. Collectively, all of you will respond, we do. So starting with number one, do you reaffirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior? Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the Word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the supreme, final, and the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you sincerely believe the articles of faith of this church, that they contain the truth taught in the Holy Scriptures? Do you promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the statements in the articles of faith, you will on your own initiative make known to the pastor and the elders the change which has taken place in your views since your assumption of this vow? Do you subscribe to the government and discipline of First Baptist Church of Sheridan? Do you promise to submit to your elders in the Lord? Do you desire to accept the office of deacon from love of God and sincere desire to promote his glory and the gospel of his son? Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truth of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on the account? And finally, do you now take personal responsibility in the life of this congregation as a deacon to serve this body faithfully, relying upon the grace of God in such a way that First Baptist Church of Sheridan will be blessed? Awesome. Please pray with me. Almighty God, what a glorious day it is that we are able to install this dedicated group of men and women to be servants of your church. And Lord, so many people here are serving faithfully. I'm thankful for so many. I'm thankful for this, those who were willing to take these vows and to serve you. Lord, and I pray for those deacons that are sitting out in the congregation right now for their future installation, that they will take part in this special office. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Could you just support this group by giving them a round of applause? If you'd like to come up and say hello, please do. Give them a pat on the back. Thank them from Sir, although they're not doing it for that. They're going to be mad at me for asking that. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you soon.